0: Coming up next on this episode of the Unlock You podcast. Um,
1: A confession to uh, betrayal um, from an affair and um, an addiction to pornography. And um, of course, I'll let James talk more about that. From my perspective, it felt as if my life was over. Yeah. Yeah. Three younger girls and a very large influential ministry that we were a part of. And it felt as if my life was over. Hey friends, thanks
0: so much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shaden Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hey everybody, I am over the moon excited. I had the opportunity to go with Life Unplugged for a beachside resort opportunity of a lifetime with Terry and Debbie and a whole crew of women and we just did no makeup and in jammies and divulged our guts and cried and it was wonderful and rebuilt so much better after it. So I said, hey Terry, you and your amazing husband James have to be my guests and I have to hear more about livelifeunplugged.org. So I'm going to just give a quick synopsis and then let them jump in and share more of their story and how they got to where they are today. Uh, So James, an ordained pastor, holds a master's in executive leadership with an emphasis in conflict resolution and team building. James is a certified executive marriage and recovery coach, mentoring leaders in ministry leadership, business, and recovery around the globe, which I understand recovery is one of his strengths. Terry is an ordained pastor. Hey girl, a certified marriage and recovery coach. She holds a degree in education, a master's in professional counseling. Yep and works in a private practice as an APCC. She's been trained in pastoral marriage and family counseling and leads women's groups for personal growth, as well as for those who have experienced betrayal and personal loss, which she will share today. James and Terry have dedicated their life to speaking, coaching, and leading others regarding relational, behavioral, and organizational health. They are the co-founders of LiveLifeUnplugged.org, which offers transformational opportunities for individuals and couples interested. In a journey of recovery and enrichment. And as many of us know, we can go to the big conference and we can get the software updates, which is great at that mental level, get the techniques and the homework. Uh, but I really appreciate the deep dive and more of the psychological understanding of family dynamics and addiction and root issues. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, James and wow. Terry, for being our guests today.
2: It is so good to be here.
0: Yes,
1: we are super it. excited. And we are we're both sevens on the Enneagram. So yeah, well, we, we are. <laughs> <We're bopping around. laughs> yes. Okay. So
0: share your story. How did you become this couple that now has just so authentically laid down any pretense and rally really just rallies around other couples and builds them up and individuals as well?
1: Well, you know what, I, I really want to start by, by just prefacing that, you know, the authenticity and vulnerability that we walk with today Was developed, Mm -hmm. it wasn't something we just had. Mm -mm. Uh, We were in ministry for many years and we held positions both in local ministry, uh, pastors of a local church, lead pastors, as well as in our denomination as national leaders. James held uh, a couple of different positions uh, with our denomination and we found ourselves on a road that included a massive um, just Hiccup, crash. yeah, crash. It was a crash, <laughs> Hiccup um, crash. Yeah, yeah, a crash. crash, yeah. And that was actually crash. putting it lightly, yes. And, you know, I, I think it's a really good place to start at we what we kind of call the beginning of the end, which is the beginning of the new beginning, um, in that we had walked for so long with both of our issues that we, we had, when the kindness of the Lord sort of brought us to a point where it was like, exposure, exposure. Mm. Now, myself, I found myself on the end of a um, a confession to uh, betrayal um, from an affair and um, an addiction to pornography. And um, of course, I'll let James talk more about that. From my perspective, it felt as if my life was over. Yeah. Yeah, three younger girls and a very large, influential ministry that we were a part of. And it felt as if my life was over. But what happened was we had, we just had some really good people around us Mm -hmm. who basically looked us in the eye and said, if you want to walk this out, And Terry, you have a choice Mm -hmm. because if there is any kind of uh, abusive structure or something that you feel would be really detrimental, then of course we give you, you know, that, that grace, but if you want to walk it out, we'll walk with you. There was a few people who did that. And I really prayed and heard the Lord and I felt him say that he would restore. Yeah. Um, Now I wanted it to restore. I wanted it to look like something different at the time, right? We have our list that the Lord needs to restore. yeah. But what he showed me as I journeyed, and I can speak to that, James can speak to his, his um, perspective, is that I found myself first, that part of me that had been shoved down for so many years as part of someone else's addictive cycle, that codependent cycle oh, that I was in, the stuff that had been stuffed down even from my childhood that I thought I was being a really strong pastor and keeping the, the, the lid on. But what he found, what he helped me find was authenticity authenticity and vulnerability and honesty. It was amazing mm. and excruciating at the same time. But that unfolded for me a journey of, hey, you know, we could go back into ministry and, and, and we went through a very extensive restoration process within our denomination. And we're asked to a pastor again uh, in the local church, but, but the Lord really assured really us to do that. You're doing the right thing yeah. by using your story uh, getting the credentials uh, to really kind of walk alongside others yeah. to do the same. Like yeah. there's hope Um, if you want, if you want to hang on to a specific, you know, part of that pathway, whatever it might look like there, there's hope.
2: Yeah. So. You know, it's the, the journey that we went on, you know, you never saw, it. you didn't see it coming, the crash. We talk about the crash, but if you go back and I say, I'm going to bring some understanding of the before, because I think there's a lot of people who might be listening, thinking, well, how did you get there? You know, we were pastoring a church of 10,000 people. we were the lead pastors in Hawaii in paradise and it was beautiful it was like how could you do something so people would say stupid you know and i'm like well you know there was a journey that got me there that led to that place of crash but then the journey afterwards was with the restorative work that terry started talking about but growing up you know i grew up in a uh, a christian home and in this christian home there was we were in the church very well respected and loved and we were leaders and my mom and dad and uh, elders and this and that but inside the home it was just chaos, you know, to just uh, multiple facets from just the relational to uh, even addictions and things that I saw and I observed. And I never saw them. Um, I always saw ruptures, but I never saw repair work. That's a good and point. so I kept on living in this rupture world where it was rupture, rupture, but never rupture, repair, rupture, repair. So my life was heightened at all times, you know, mm-hmm. as a you know, wait. now someone might say, well, you're blaming. No, I'm not blaming anybody. It's just my reality. It was what I lived in and, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I kept on living in this. Well, eventually you get that rupture going so much you figure out a way to medicate it mm-hmm. and so at a young age i was exposed to pornography and i, I used it as a drug because mm-hmm. being in a christian home drugs people would see it alcohol people would see it and my life was consisted of athletics family and church that's what it was and, and i thought that all that stuff will ruin all that but if i do this secret thing over here mm-hmm. no one will know and you still get dopamine re- response you get a relief of what you're feeling and that's what i was like i can't handle the stress i can't handle the pain i lived my whole life that way in secrecy because i thought if people knew what i did there would be a great deal of shame and then uh there would be a great deal of rejection and i did not want rejection in my life right Uh, i feared it i feared that uh just like i feared failure and uh rejection i just uh, it just drove me to say Mm -hmm. i will do whatever it takes to self-preserve and make sure i'm okay well then terry and i started dating we met each other in high school well actually we dated way back if you go way back and do the research (laughs) i think we were at story time together when we were like four years old (laughs) yeah you know so at the the local library we're like hey were you
1: there I was probably
2: I was the kid that they were kicking out all the time. She was a little girl front listening (laughs) all the time, and so. But we started dating in high school, and we were senior sweethearts. We got voted Mm -hmm. that and senior prom court and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But I never I, at that time I was struggling. Not at the depth. It just got worse as the stress started to continue to increase. So more demands and more expectations and athletics took me to a division one college to compete. And I went and I I did my best, but I did it. So I did the approval of others as well. Mm -hmm. And I always lived for that approval, the affirmation, that thing that I longed for to say, you're good and you're okay. And I didn't know how to self-soothe myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to take care and, and really care for myself. So then we got married, but that was just in there the whole time. So we went into ministry. Well, I took that competitive and that strive to be the best. And we took it into ministry as well. Terry and I did and had a youth group and our youth group was a thousand kids. And we just, we just wanted to do things, but our heart was, let's do things for the kingdom of God. Let's win people to Jesus. Let's disciple them. And then when stress was still there, I was still on the days I'd go away and I would, I didn't know how to deal with it. I just didn't know how to deal with it. Nor did I know how to talk to anybody about it, Mm by the way. And no, I, I, so. I
1: think it's good to interject here too, that um, for spouses who are, are listening and, you know, maybe have gone through something like this, or, you know, someone who has, I didn't know what was going on. All I knew was sort of the, the cycles, cycles. of
2: anger and
1: yeah, and isolation, disconnect. like things would be really good, but then all of a sudden it would be, you know, kind of that addictive cycle. But when you don't really have words for it, you just kind of what's going on in my sort of my own coping. It was like, well, let's just make it all okay. You know, let's just make everybody happy. It's just keep things going. You know, I didn't, I didn't know about those things. And, you know, I look back and I go, why, why wouldn't I just have asked? But the, but the abuse,
2: it was an abusive cycle though, because I drug her and my girls, through those cycles every single time. Yeah. So talk about trauma. Uh, yeah. someone can you
0: unpack to that go. for us? Because I think a lot of people do that, but then maybe they don't realize there's that cycle, even yeah. to things that are not just drugs and alcohol. So yeah. can you walk us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: that's a great question. Because I was thinking about that, had to explain that because it might not be drugs or sex or alcohol, but it could be work. Mm-hmm. It could be hobbies. It could be yeah. things that you obsessively focus on to get something out of it that it's not supposed to provide for you. Mm-hmm. And you never take care of yourself or learn how to self-soothe or self-regulate and so on and so forth and so i didn't know i was doing this and so i would go on this great high james would be doing great happy and everybody loves james but then i would come into this place i'd be faced with kind of a a criticism or a potential failure and i would start to cycle out and i'm thinking oh no and that's when i started to Mm self-preserve it's like oh how do I protect myself? Because I don't want to face this. So i would come into this, then I would eventually get into my behavior, my addictive behavior. And this is not just for what I dealt with. People do this all the time. This is when they get really intense with work and they just put in 60, 70 hours a week Mm -hmm. and they disregard their families or they they make excuses or, you know, or even their hobbies or obsessive TV or obsessive where they focus so they don't have to feel. Yes. I was afraid of feeling. I didn't mm-hmm. want to feel it. That's I didn't want to feel pain, you know, and why would I want to feel pain? So I'll just go numb myself. So I would, I would get into my addictive process and I would numb myself. Well, they, then my mm-hmm. family felt dad disconnect. They would see me pull away and they would see me like, why is he so distant? And, and even to the point angry and he gets kind of I get edgy and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And so I didn't know what to do and how to handle that, yeah. you know, and even be it. I didn't talk to anybody about it because if I did, I would forfeit you know, uh, quote, quote, uh, my my standing or what I was Mm -hmm. doing. So I feared that deeply. Yeah. it doesn't give me excuse it just was my reality and with my own mind and then i would come out of that and realize i got to get out of this again i got it so lord please forgive me and i would come to the lord and he would forgive me every time but the problem was he wasn't allowed to heal me really because it says in james it says if you confess your sins before one another that's where god heals you but if you confess your sins before him he forgives you so i'm like i forgot this healing aspect of god's conf- you know where i'm confessing to someone else and i'm Allowing someone else to be a part of that Mm -hmm. process. No one was a part of my process. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really white knuckling my way through this, trying to hold on thinking I can do this and God will forgive me and God please sorry. And true repentance because I'm like, I have a true desire for repentance because I didn't want to live there. I hated it. And I would get so angry with myself Then they experienced that when they, when I started turning anger towards myself, Mm -hmm. they experienced it, Mm -hmm. but then I would come in and then I felt that I was okay with God. God and I were feeling good. I I felt good with God and I felt God's love and acceptance. And and I would be back in the good James. Everything's good and everything's happy. And everybody experienced the, the influence of my joy and my personality. But then I would go back into this another cycle again. And over and over and over again, my family experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so talk about trauma. They didn't know who they were with, Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't understand how to operate. And so it was very confusing for them yeah. in that process.
1: Yeah. And, and so I think the, was the Lord's kindness, right? I mean, eventually you know, that led to his decline in terms of his own, and the shame that grew yep. led into this, you know, this, this deprivation that eventually was yeah. a, an affair. And it was the Lord's kindness to bring us to a place of like, Hey, and enough enough you know we were able to make a a mid-course adjustment there I think the one thing that we we will say to people is hey we know that pain Mm -hmm. you know and we also apologize Mm -hmm. for any leader because there was people involved as well a lot of people and so we don't make light of the of the journey that we were on No, but we do I do tell people I look back on that season before our crash and I I wish I would have spent a million dollars on counseling and therapy and yeah. whatever it was that we thought we need, but we thought we couldn't, we thought that it was somehow bad, like that somehow God would love us less.
2: Or people would, or people yeah. would, or
1: you, would know, you know, lack of yes. Knowledge. I mean, there was just such a mindset and yeah. whether that was something we made up or something that was communicated to us, regardless, we were responsible for carrying that. Yeah. But when we did give our hearts over to a process, the Lord was so faithful was. and just stripped us both of the things that that were the lies, the belief systems that were holding us there, and so so we we get it, we get it.
2: Yeah, and those and I people who are listening today, there are so many people. You know, statistically, we look at numbers, and seventy percent of men are struggling with sexual addiction across our nation. Fifty percent of pastors are. So when you look at those numbers, that's a reality check to see, oh, now that's just that capacity. What about alcohol, drugs, pain medication? How about workaholism? How about Whatever it is, the coping mechanism, all of us have coping mechanisms. I love coping mechanisms when they're healthy and when they're done right. You know, tomorrow Terry and I are going to go to the beach. We're going to, we're going to go surfing and go to the beach. That's that's coping. Cool, we're going to get out, disconnect from our, our electronics, and have a chance to go mm-hmm. and have some time together. And that's and that will refresh us and yeah. fill us up. Then we don't do it right, that all of a sudden you go into this shame cycle, and all of a sudden you find yourself very alone, very alone. I would find myself when I would follow myself in sin. I would then go into this deep shame of what my sin was and when I'm in that shame I then go into secrecy and as I live in secrecy then I would go into separation from people and God Mm -hmm. and so I would fall my fall myself uh, feel myself so alone and then all of a sudden you feel despair and hopelessness just settle in it's like oh this is the best you ever have Mm -hmm. and that's not God's intention for us at all that makes sense
0: absolutely and I think so many people are resonating and probably either wanting to turn this off right now because it's like getting those places inside. So I just honor those that are willing to listen and lean in to that healing. Because I agree, Terry, there's most of the time people come to therapy when it's like the wheels have already fallen off, we're already in the crash, the public humiliation, things have been uncovered. And it's like, man, if we could just create a culture of prevention, yeah, you know, in every area of life, we have continuing education, we invest diligently, proactively. And yet, for most of us, we wait until there's a major issue. And we just hold on to that phone number that somebody's given us. And then we just wait, 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 wait. So I'm hoping that even if somebody's listening and you don't have a problem yet, or it's under control. How many times I've heard people be like, oh no, I've got this. Like, it's just this small little pet thing. (laughs) I've got it. It's not out of control. It's just this, you know, one drink a night. It's just one pain pill a night. Just scrolling through some images. Not that big of a deal. What would you say to maybe those who are kind of still in that space of I'm in control?
2: I, I, I appreciate when people come to me with that statement because they're willing to identify that is just they have control of it, but it's a minor thing. But it's a thing. It's something, you know. And so I would ask that you would open your eyes to the reality of what you're facing. Everyone struggles in one way or another. We're mm-hmm. flawed. We're fallen. We are sinful beings. So if we can live our lives in such a way with curiosity of mm-hmm. what God's potential is for our lives, yeah. and curiosity of like, hmm, is there more for me, or is this my is this it? And I really believe every person who's listening today, there is so much more that God has for you. See, our story, you might be listening today and thinking, oh, that stinks. That's a horrible story. Mm -hmm. But you didn't hear the redemptive part. Right. Because we're living our best lives yet. I mean, Mm -hmm. but we had to, I had someone talk to me the other day. They said, we just want to get the other side of this problem. And I paused. I sat there with him and and he's in a pretty tough situation right now. I said, can I just encourage you not to think about getting on the other side and that we would sit together and walk through this situation together. If you don't walk through your challenge, your struggle Mm -hmm. or your pain, you'll never experience truly who God really is because that's where he promises I will never leave you nor forsake you in the shadows of the valley of death he's that's when he doesn't he doesn't leave us he's not up the mountaintop waiting for us to get there mm-hmm. he holds our hand picks us up he speaks yeah. promises to our ears and says hey I'm right here with you yeah. you can do this you're gonna have to trust me on this and mm-hmm. I'm gonna walk you through it and I'm gonna bring people in your life that are gonna love you unconditionally that are gonna come alongside you link arms and partner with you to the end to the finish line, that's where success is.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's also really good for us to take a moment, even though it's hard, and empathize with the impact of our choices on other people as well. Because I think sometimes, you know, and we always tell people any secret will find a way to have an impact, whether it is felt on the outside and in very clear, tangible ways, Mm -hmm. or it's like what we felt many years, kind of like there's this offness. Yeah, whether that's a word, but you can't put your finger on it. And you're like, gosh, but you know, our girls, they're all we you know, one of them's married now we have one in college and, and one in high school now. And there, it's been, you know, years since we've walked through this, Um, but they've all had to go on a journey of healing, yeah. because it that the messages of that was it was hard for them in their developing years, mm-hmm. like what's going on, like, it made them vigilant, it made them anxious. attachment so we have to also go hey is something i'm doing or or is even if it seems benign or like hey i got this can i just take a pause and see how it's impacting other people Mm -hmm. because if it's hurting someone else even if it's on a very minimal level and i'm in my mind Mm -hmm. still worth just sort of allowing it to get some exposure in a really healthy way just like god you know what can i do grab somebody get some help get some support because that changes family system that's right and that's yes. what we're after nowadays it's like yeah. every single person we work with or every couple mm-hmm. it's it's literally a legacy because then that's you right. see how that goes into generations i loved how yeah. you prayed for us yeah. when we started Shannon it was so beautiful but she said you know that that you were you were just asking the lord to bless our family and our children to the you know the generations okay. and the thousands of generations that's what we're after when we're looking at our both our our um spiritual but also our emotional emotional health that's right and those those connect that's right
0: and i think it's worth pointing out that all of us wherever we're self-medicating it's a younger part of me it's Mm -hmm. more of an unconscious part of the soul regress and so that part of me is egocentric by nature right doesn't mean i'm all narcissistic i'm a selfish bad person just means that part of me that needs a lifeline that feels like i'm treading water and i don't know how to keep my footing that part of me will naturally want to hold on to that coping mechanism like an idol, like a life preserver. And so in that space, we want you to know you're not bad. And I know it can be really scary to bring it in the light because it feels like now I'm going to drown. I'm going to flood and all this shame and imposter syndrome and people are going to see right through me. And so there is a middle space. It doesn't have to stay hidden and shameful. It also doesn't have to come out in a very traumatic, terrible way. You can choose safe people to talk to and start processing.
2: You know, many people have asked us, how did you get to that place? And we tell people, we had talked and told our story with those who earn the right to hear our story and not everybody's earned the right to hear our story because when someone's unhealthy and you give that information to them they're going to do unhealthy things with it sure you know so you really have to have the right people around you uh and we did we had right people around us healthy people Mm -hmm. that would surround us even how messy or whatever it was they were able to meet us in that place
1: it's funny because when when we talk about restoring it's like we always say we never thought we would be doing this you know i mean you you always have this picture in your mind yeah get into really the gutter with people, oh, yeah. it's so beautiful and fulfilling, though, because you get to see a life reborn in a okay. resurrection mm-hmm. way. You know, in so many of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was neat too because I think our story, and, and I know what we we talked about in our little previous talk was the deprivation, the the excruciating part of our the crash, the scene, the crash scene. But what we found was this beautiful lifelong commitment mm-hmm. to being okay with not being okay when we Mm -hmm. feel that way to being honest and vulnerable Mm -hmm. to to living in reality you know there are still some things that we're human right so we still have to work through through. it's like it's okay to be there you know and to keep good people around us so that we can do that and it's great because we basically were able to go like hi my name's terry and he was like hi my name's james and we're like the 2.0 version of each other and our kids were like gosh you guys are so much different our friends would say you you both are so much different but but yet you guys are you know the same people but just give Your qualities are different. Yeah. We we discovered that we both have very different personalities. Very. Before it was like, (laughs) you know... I just didn't understand it. So it was like, well, part of that just seems bad to me or I couldn't handle it. and Uh It would be like, oh, that part just is confusing to me. Whereas now we've dove into like the Enneagram, we've done the Berkman assessment, the, you know, the, well, I don't know. We've done pretty much every assessment. Mm -hmm. But what we've, we've figured out is that there's unique qualities to each of us that we can be patient and curious about. That sometimes I can say, hey, that part feels like the way you're communicating to me feels a little too harsh or something or hey can you clarify that mm. instead of me going oh, that just feels traumatic and I'm immediately in this really pushback state mm. and yeah. instead I'm safe enough now I can I can move forward and say yeah. hey I want to know more yeah. tell me tell me more about why you know why you would look at it that way or you would we would find it that way but we're, we're in the Enneagram world he's an eight I'm a seven so it makes our interactions super fun
2: yes we, we always <laughs> say this sarcastic uh, no. <laughs> They 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 would describe us as (laughs) I I am Rambo and she is Elf, the movie Elf, (laughs) and that would be kind of the description of how. So when we operate together, man, we can go take the world. Oh, we have Uh, so much
1: fun. We're visionaries. We're like. like,
2: But if we are struggling and we hit Mm -hmm. a wall. And we are in our uh, limbic brain, mm, we can take out the world too. Yeah. This is our reality. And that we know it, but we built tools around that so that we are able to navigate through those things. But we we didn't know this before. Yeah. We had to learn it. And it's not, it's not that it's where we're hopeless, you know, going through this process. We became hopeful because yeah. we're like, wait, there's more to this whole thing, you know, and, and it, there's there's hope for us, in the future. Yeah.
0: I love the way you guys team as a couple. So what what would you say if somebody's listening and they're like oh that's really nice that you have this angelic little marriage now what if somebody's in the middle of the throes of it and the person who has divulged the affair or the whatever the addiction situation and the other person is really struggling and it's kind of getting toxic in their dynamic and they don't know how to navigate that because you had said we need to be sharing it with safe people but yeah. when you're the recipient it's real hard to be the therapist safe person so what does that look like when you're counseling couples?
1: Well, you know, I think we always first assess Uh, You know the level of stabilization, right? I mean, if if something's got a a toxicity to it, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to create safe boundaries there. Mm So um, sometimes, if that's the case, then then you know, we recommend you know doing a a repair plan or a recovery Mm -hmm. plan. Sometimes even a safety plan. Mm -hmm. You know, if there are some situations, I had a safety plan with James at first. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was it was obviously somebody was helping me do it, but you know, it was more like, hey, this is I'm realizing, I'm finally understanding the impact. Mm Now that everything's been exposed awesome. yeah. um, and, and, you know, these are some things that I really want and need in order to repair and walk through this, but these are some things that can't happen anymore and if they do Mm -hmm. because you're human Mm -hmm. and and you know sometimes relapse does occur Mm -hmm. I have to know number one what your plan is and you have to you have to be accountable to that and so sometimes it would be you know hey if there was he was really uh, amazingly strong through the process and I was all in
2: I knew like this is my one chance to Mm -hmm. actually get free
1: yeah but and 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 some people are and some people aren't but but he was within 90 days he was really you know walking in sobriety but within that 90 days it was like hey you know if there was a relapse and we understand that that can happen you need to be honest you need mm-hmm. to tell me we need to be able to walk through that and if you're not going to be honest and you're not going to tell me then there yeah. are going to be some relational somewhat yeah. consequences in, in the sense of like i might need you to find maybe somewhere to stay for a while so i can repair because mm-hmm. that's not only is you know, scary and, and and makes me take takes me back but but my body would experience trauma again so mm-hmm. we just need to make sure that we have some Stress. safety yeah Okay. Yeah. So, you know, so sometimes if there's, there's a high level of toxicity, then of course we'll assess for, you know, does there need to be some kind of groundwork there? We always recommend that couples are in individual journeys mm-hmm. of recovery. So mm-hmm. we tend to do our, and that's one of the reasons why people really love working with us because we do work with couples together. So sometimes that feels safe for both parts, parties. And then but... we, and we
2: separate them. We all work with the guy, yeah. carry with the brood, and then yeah. we'll bring them together. Yeah, And it's exactly. important to create those environments for people for, for the ones like in my role that I was the one who was the, who committed the, um, the fear. Well, I knew that in that process, I had to surround myself, Mm -hmm. someone who was stronger than me. Mm -hmm. I had to get somebody in my life that would, I'll just say it this way, call my BS out. Is that Mm -hmm. all right to say that here? And, uh, that, that's something of the spiritual term, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, but it's where they would look at, and I had uh, Dr. Ted Roberts, he he was an ex Marine. He's a Mm -hmm. sex therapist. And and he walked me through a process, but loved me deeply, Mm -hmm. loved me deeply where he says, James, I'm not, I can call you out when I need to, but he always would put his arm around me and say, but let's do this together and so all of a sudden I felt okay I know I can do this because I'm not going to be rejected and abandoned in this that's what people fear the most is the abandonment Mm -hmm. Uh, when I come to that place I'm alone I'm going to be alone but there has to be because then all of a sudden Terry then wasn't on the front lines of receiving all of the shrap metal that's flying all over the place yes and also kind of work through that and then he brought us together and then we worked through it Mm -hmm. with the care of somebody but it's you got to be strategic about it. It's not like I had, we had a couple that went to a huge uh, marriage conference one time and there was like, Seven thousand people there, and he confessed everything right there because they were kind of encouraged to kind of deal with some stuff. And he confessed Well, it was a dandy. I mean, it was bad, and they didn't know it was just she was just the receipt. Vomited on, on
0: me. me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now what do I do? He felt better, you know. He finally got it out. You know, it's like I well, we yeah. feel better now. Is I feel lighter. And she's devastated. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they just didn't know what to do. Well, then, then that's when we got him. But then we partner with them, and then I took him alone for a while mm-hmm. and read. Really help walk him through what recovery is and stabilize him individually first before we even ever started working with them together. Mm -hmm. Because she needs to be able to look at you him and or me as this Mm -hmm. to say, show me some consistency first. Yes. Then I can come to the table with you. Yes. Because what I saw is not it's not consistent. I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. Well, trust has to be rebuilt to a place where some stabilization takes place. Yeah. Then we can come into this place of feeling safe. Now we can work together on this. That's a lot good. of people say this, well. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it together. Well, that might not be the best decision. Yeah. You know, we need to get some stabilization first. Absolutely.
0: You know, so. And I've seen that create space for a lot of like dominance and depending on the couple and the language and mindsets they have. So, like, if they're in a, a religious, they could use religious language like, you were supposed to forgive me, you're not forgiving. Yeah. And so, somehow, forgiveness means lack of boundaries and I'm a doormat. Yeah. And I've just hyper spiritualized and actually go into spiritual abuse, whether they realize yes. it or not, because the person that feels exposed Feel so much shame, they feel really out of control and scared and overwhelmed. So I need you to feel bad. I need you to stop talking and I need you to be small. So I don't feel so exposed to the only one with a problem. So yeah. that blame shifting in a couple dynamic, it's really toxic. And other people use different language. It's just, you know, we know religion can be an easy one that somebody can domineer another partner. And so if they're in the middle of it in the throes of it, that shrap metal really can get thrown on each other with the oh, shame yeah. and the, the blame shifting. You bet. Yes, you absolutely. Bet. And
1: what's really helpful in those situations, and we spend quite a bit of time, as do you know other you know organizations like ourselves, but with a lot of psychoeducation, in terms of like this is what's happening to the brain, you know, so I'll be working with the the women or the partners who are dealing with the betrayal trauma. and it's like, okay, what is happening in someone's addictive cycles or you know their repetitive behavior patterns? what's what 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 is it that you feel like? Now that you have these sort of bags on you, from yeah, it's great that there's this confession, but and what does it look like for you to feel what you're feeling and have space to do that Mm -hmm. and not be told? Yeah. And that, and that again, like you said, like sometimes when somebody's going through their own trauma or their own recovery, it's like, I don't want to feel your pain too. I can't handle it. So don't, don't bring the pain in, but you have to have a space for that. That's right. I mean, you have to have a space to feel that pain. So that's why we, you know, we always recommend, you know, recovery groups group process, um, you know, process groups are so good and, mm-hmm. and, and, and just starting to understand what is going on. You know, a, a lot of women, you know, you kind of give them the concept of what is, what is gaslighting? Yeah. And mm-hmm. They're like, oh, what I've been experiencing, like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not crazy. You, not me. You know? Yeah. And you know, that was a technique that I think, you know, in, in an addictive cycle, you know, James would use not because he was trying to necessarily hurt me, but it was trying to run away from his own pain. Right. Absolutely. But hey, it'd be good if you started to feel stupid or bad then about <laughs> because it. that I have to do with it. Yeah. So, you know, we just, you just addressing those, but safety is number one. You bet. You, you, ha- we, you have to be safe in that. So sometimes that means that you have to put in some, some good and healthy boundaries yes. while you're recovering. That this yeah. is the most important thing. And if you have children involved as well. So, you know, we, we really find that that that's kind of the, the, the first part. Well,
2: and choose in our world today, it's a male driven kind of focus. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say something here and we don't need to spend a lot of time because it'd probably be a whole nother podcast, but in our world today is that especially in the church a lot is that women are there's pressure put on women mm-hmm. uh, if you would do x y and z yep. he would be doing better right and if you would provide for him sexually or mm-hmm. emotionally physically then he would be doing better, and I want to advocate for women Thank you. because my, when I say this, my heart even breaks and I get emotional because how many women live with this this false responsibility to mm-hmm. regulate their husband's you know own pain, yeah. and they live with this part of their lives. And can you imagine how many women are just struggling because they think I'm responsible for my my husband's chaos, mm-hmm. or I'm I'm responsible because our marriage is not doing well, and they just start to go crazy in their minds, you know, and then they never really discover their true self because they're just feeling this hopelessness in who they are. So I say that because I think it's a it's an open door to, for deeper conversations. But bottom line is, is that we have to take a step back and say, wait a second, we have to look at what healthy relationships, the way God designed them to be. Yes. It's not just women weren't created for the man to be okay. No, <laughs> no, we're equal partners here, <laughs> you know, and we have to look at what healthy marriage really is and how. How it is to be lived out. And so I say that because sometimes people think, well, if this would take place, I would be no, 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 mm. no, that's, that's an excuse. yeah. And we yeah. all live, we have a lot of excuses in our world today. I want to look at the reality and be Terry uses this word and I am, you do too. We just got to be curious.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: What does this look like?
0: And I appreciate (laughs) you saying that as a man, because I think there's a lot of times that women hold that tension and it actually reinforces codependence because she is responsible for another person, which is biblically not true and not healthy. Right. And so what I've done a lot is helping the female learn that she's okay and strengthen her sense of self that with or without him, not saying that we're just throwing our marriage away, but that internal, like, I have to have this in order to be okay. If somebody is listening to this and you just feel like I am literally not gonna survive and take my next breath, I don't know how I'm gonna function, then you know your spouse is an idol. They are special, they're important, you wanna be in covenant with them, but they are not supposed to ever be your God. Even as a married couple, they are never supposed to be your source. So the more that we clear that out, and it helps you internally regulate and have those boundaries to be lovely. You don't have to throw the divorce word every time. You don't have to be so dramatic and angry and upset to try to bolster up your courage to have a boundary because that then hits all the shame and the activating of abandonment and all that stuff. Rather having appropriate boundaries with high warmth and high structure of saying, here's what we can do. Here's what we cannot do. If you choose to continue to talk to me, no problem. I'll just leave. Or if you choose to talk to me in a different way and we change the dynamic, I'm happy to stay and continue to engage. But there's strength and loveliness when somebody is not codependent. And I think culturally for lots of different people the woman feels responsible to keep the family together and she's sinning and all this pressure that is so not accurate um actually having somebody have a firm boundary and a cost to their sin and their consequence usually grows
1: people up quicker than us right. just kind of enabling and tolerating things yeah, I yeah agree. absolutely yeah, and we found that and we found that in our process as well i think it's you know when you learn something it's different than just reading it yeah <laughs> I mean, applying we, we were, we, we were pastors, we would, you know, we would host all these great things coming, but when you yeah. really learn it and you, and you experience it, it. Yeah. you know, then you can sit with people differently well, in it.
2: And this is another thing we've always said to you is that for me, the pain on the outside of my life had to increase more than the pain on the inside for mm-hmm. change to take place. So God uses sometimes the pain on the outside, mm-hmm. tension of the marriage, tension in family, job Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. circumstances to catch your attention he's not going to punish his children i believe he disciplines his children Mm -hmm. and so there's a part where it's like there's some tension there on the outside but what it does it starts to increase more than the pain on the inside Mm -hmm. it's like oh so when everything fell I was caught, I was caught, and then all of a sudden it exploded, well, it's like, I have an opportunity, change, because mm-hmm. I can't keep managing the internal pain, yeah. well, if you do, there, there's great hope, you know, and it might not be catastrophic like our story was, but I'll tell you, it could be minor, it could be some things that just some, you know, habits and things that you need to work on and start to identify, but it's better to start working on them now before they become catastrophic later, you know, there's yeah. a lot less cost to it, but there's always a cost, and so start working on those things specifically in your marriage you know the two of us when we work through challenges together oh it's so fulfilling because it might be my challenge but then she gets to celebrate together with me as we get to the finish line of that challenge or if it's our challenge we do it together and there's a unity is like a bond you know i love it in ecclesiastes uh, 4 12 it says a strand of three is not quickly broken mm-hmm. that strand is really terry and i and the holy spirit binding us together but that binding process really is through a challenge and, and things that the Lord really works through. It's really a wonderful process and it's not something to be afraid of. It's part of the process of life, Mm -hmm. you know, but our world has created this uncertainty of it. And I'll be honest, the church a lot of times has created uncertainty because there's a lot of shame wrapped around any kind of sin you know we gotta then unwrap it and unfold it and say then what does this really look like and Mm -hmm. can we can we just navigate this and can we work through this Mm -hmm. because god's promises are true you know it's he's not going to just change his mind tomorrow but we need to work through this you know and i think it's as important for us to remember those things so
0: it's so good and i love the story of hope that there is a story after so i think we hit on a couple points that we want to be proactive. There is a cost. So whether you spend the money ahead of time preventing or you live the cost (laughs) and then you really have to put the brakes on your entire life because it's come crashing down. And also that there's hope and there's a 2.0 that so many times I think we stay hidden in darkness because one, we don't want to let go of those false comforters, those idols that we've always relied on. But when we release that, our mood becomes more stable. We become a more emotionally available. We're able yeah. to enjoy and savor moments more yeah. rather than that kind of irritability of I need to go alone, I need to go drink, or I need to go look at porn, or I need to go do yeah. something by myself, like have my little hidden life. I think the more that we bring things conscious and all of me is able to enjoy the blessings in my life, then I stay emotionally satisfied. We're able to enjoy the good in our life versus yeah. always feeling kind of torn. And then when people say nice things to You, there's this mask in the inside going, yeah, but if you knew everything, you wouldn't say that. Right. And that imposter syndrome actually steals the good, the benefit, the love, the joy, the good people that are trying to invest in you. So I think if you can get plugged in with somebody like Terry and James or any of the other amazing organizations, groups, therapists, counselors, pastoral counseling, whatever you want to do in your situation, please be proactive. Your marriage is so worth it. Quality of life. And then The macro, the ripple effect of all the people that are influenced by your life being healthy and whole or crashing and people being disillusioned and fragmented as a result of your choices. So, I just want to honor you guys. Thank you so, so much for your bravery and just sharing candidly. There's so much more to your story, Um, but it's just so healthy and refreshing. And we're definitely going to have to have you back. And I would love to even talk about that pastoral failure and how people are kind of deconstructing the church and seeing hypocrisy so maybe we can schedule that for a future one but we love you guys thank Thank you you for joining us and we'll see you for the next episode bye guys bye